Welcome, everybody. This is Randy Kugler with Racing with RK, episode number 16. This podcast is brought to you in part by Lori Beal Photography, your expert in motorsports photography. Her passion is sports, specifically motorsports, but also enjoys travel, concert, and night photography. Check Lori's website, lauribeelphotography.com. That's L-O-R-I-B-I-E-H-L photography.com. And use promo code RACINGWITHRK and receive a 10% discount on orders for first-time customers. Also, make sure to check out our new website, RACINGWITHRK.com. Enjoy the podcast library, photo gallery, and carding videos. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest podcast and racing news. Sponsorships and advertising is available on with Racing With RK. Check out the details on the website. Well, today we've got a really special guest for a lot of reasons. One, he was a tremendous racer back in the day in the champ car division. And two, he is literally talking to us from around the world in Kuwait on a military deployment. Chuck Broadway, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Randy, for having me. This is, uh, this is pretty awesome. I, we, were, we were talking, um, we were on Facebook uploading some podcasts and and I, and I got this message from Chuck Broadway. And, and of course that brought back some great memories on my WK days. And Chuck was one of the top champ car drivers. And he says, Randy, I just want you to know, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying the podcast over here in Kuwait. I'm able to listen to them and it just really brings back some great memories. So we started talking. I said, Chuck, it would be so cool to have you on a podcast. So Chuck, here we are and I can't wait to get started. So let's do that. Uh, first all right, of all, it's fired up. Yeah, and let's do it. First of all, I'd like to start the podcast by starting from the beginning. So if you would, Chuck, uh, share with the listeners how you were introduced to karting, some of your first memories. Well, the first memory I have was was back in uh, January 1995. My dad loaded me up in, in his uh, work vehicle, and we went to a machine shop in Ocala, Florida, which is where we were living at the time. And I didn't have a clue where we were going. Uh, he goes and we start talking to some people and the, some of the work, the guys that worked at the shop there had sons who raced go-karts and, and that's what we were there for was to learn about go-kart racing. Um, we had kind of tossed around the idea of maybe getting into junior drafters, uh, very minimally, but, but uh, we got invited out to go to a local track in Central Florida that these guys and their kids raced at was called Fruitland Park or excuse me, it's yeah. called Speedway Park Speedway in Park. Fruitland Park, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out to the first race of the year that year and walked out of there uh, with a, a cart, trailer, tires, you know, just a minimalist setup. And uh, a month later, we were on the track. So, um, yeah, that's that's how it all started. You know, very small Speedway Park race first and third Saturday of the month. Uh, for their little points division there, and it was great. Um, my first race at, uh, ever was in the junior junior stock division. It was, the, uh, I guess, what a lot of people think of as the gold plate junior restricted. Um, but uh, I, I raced with several people who have experienced different levels of success in racing. Um, you know, Dwayne Bryan was in that race, and he's he was an ARCA winner several years ago. Uh, ben Fritz has, has experienced some success on the Florida sprint cart circuit and uh, Josh Antley 
is living his dream right now and building some cart chassis working with Mark Moe down at Trick Olympic and and his driver Tony Sansom was also in that race um, so it was it's really cool to see where those kids you know 10 11 years old at the time have come and gone and and done the things that they've done and all of them experienced success and I'm, I'm very proud of where each one of us has gone and and happy to call all those guys friends to this day thanks to the the invention of social media, you know, we can keep up. And so it, it it's great. It, it, humble beginnings for sure. Yeah, that's, that's well put Chuck. And, and Florida, I think it, it, it doesn't matter whether you're in a go-kart or a sprint car or a late model or whatever. If you're racing in Florida, you're going to be up against some of the best competition. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it, there's, there's some really good talent that came out of Florida and, you know, again, when you're 10, 11 years old, you, you don't know where life is going to take you and you're not even thinking that way, but you know, it, it's unbelievable to know that I raced against some of the guys like that. And, and they were just how good we really were, even at 10, 11 years old racing against each other and yeah, you know, getting out there beating and banging. And then you're throwing right. football in the pits and stuff like that Yeah, so. afterwards. Yeah. So we're, we're going to get into, I think, where you really had a lot of your success and quite honestly was a legendary name in champ carts, one of the top drivers. But I want, before we get into some of the top champ cart drivers you raced against, I'd like you just to give a quick champ cart 101 to the listeners. Cause I guarantee you there's going to be people listening to this podcast, sadly, that don't know the distinction or the uniqueness of a champ cart over just a standard flat cart. So, so share with everybody really what a champ card is and why it was so different. Uh, well, I, I think you kind of put it an interesting way that, that makes sense, but nobody had really ever said it to me before was the champ card guys were kind of like the MMA of, of card. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> the champ cards have the roll cage and they have a little higher center of gravity than your, your typical flat cart. Um, you know, you have four wheels exposed as, as, as opposed to two that you, the back wheels on the, on the flat cart, um, you know, a little bit heavier on the weight overall because of the roll cage. And a lot of the times, you know, some of these drivers, they get into that roll cage and, and it's, it's just like an MMA fighter. They think they're invincible once they're inside yeah. that cage strapped in with the seat belts, right. which is also a different, uh, from the flat cart. We got the seat belt strapping us in, um, you know, and, and they punch a bigger hole in there. So the draft is, is a lot more important, um, not taking it away from what it is in the flat cart, but when you got it, when you're punching a bigger hole, the draft plays a bigger role. Um, so you have to learn how to, to work the draft and, and make your passes. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys, the competition was good because a lot of us were very close together. You, you have flat carts where you have guys, you know, typically you may have five people who are always out in front and champ carts. Anybody can have a good day because we yep. were, a lot of us were, were really so close together and, and to, to be called uh, a legendary driver, like from, from you, is just something I never thought about. I, I always <laughs> knew that, that I was good, uh, you know, based on our results, but uh, never considered myself a legend. So it's, it's an honor to have, to have you refer to me as that. And I appreciate it. Well, when I, when I think of champ cards back in the day, and I always like watching the champ cards because you guys, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good description you said about even as a kid racing, 
the champ carts, and I'm sure you guys had words here and there, but you guys just went after it on the track. But there was some kind of a respect where when you come off, and I think, um, and no disrespect to you, Chuck, but when I think of champ carts, the first name, and you're you're one of them that comes to mind pretty quick, but I think of uh, of Furman Myers. I mean, Furman, Furman Myers. Was, he was strong. That, that's that's a guy you don't want to make upset because you might not make it home. <laughs> yeah. He's a big boy. Um, yeah. But I tell you, for as intimidating and imposing a figure as he was, he was just about as nice a guy as you could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, I remember I remember sitting on the grid with him and some other guys would come up, talk to us, and they're, like, they're asking, you know, Furman how he makes the, the Titan chassis. And I said, don't you know? He just takes the, the tubing and bends it himself. <laughs> he bends arms. it himself. <laughs> There you go. He was, yeah. he was a nice guy. And I, I know, you know, Furman was mainly on the asphalt series for years and years and years. And then he came over and tried the dirt thing. And you know what? He started whipping our tails really quick. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, yeah. we were introduced really quick to him. So, you know, good guy. I, I enjoyed my, uh, the limited amount, I think one or two years mm -hmm. that we got to race against each other. Well, and another one that comes to mind, and I want you to give me your own version too, but I, 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 uh, he was such a personality, but kind of a cool guy. Once you got to know him was Roger Padgett. Oh, Roger Padgett. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sack. I, you know, thinking as I, as we were leading up to this podcast, you know, you, yeah, you, you think about drivers that you raced against and, and we'll get into that a little bit more too, but I cannot think of more than two or three races when I was running champ carts that, that I ever went to that Roger Padgett was not there. Yeah. Roger yeah. Padgett was at almost every race that I ever remember. And he was always tough to beat. Oh yeah. Um, whether we were running in Tennessee money races or the WK divisional, or whether we were running the North Carolina state divisionals or the nationals or just a, you know, a James Moore money race that he was putting on there in North or South Carolina, Roger Padgett was like an iron man. The guy. Yeah. Never get enough seat time, and yeah. um, you know, always joking and kidding around. He was he was all business when it was on the track, but he yeah. was joking and kidding around. And you know, I I, I appreciate Roger not killing me back in <laughs> back in the early champ cart days when when uh, I went to pass him and and we were running Star Champ, the old ten horsepower to come. Oh yeah, and mm -hmm. my my throttle got stuck when I was underneath him at Florence. Oh no, and, that, and that's a tight little track. Yeah. And I ended up taking both of us out and I went over to his pits, kind of swallowing my pride a little bit. Like he's not going to be happy with me, but I got to tell him that it was my throttle that got yeah. stuck. Cause you know, at this time we had raced against each other for about a year or two. Yeah. And he knew that I, that I wasn't a dirty driver. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And he's like, boy. And that's all he said was boy. <laughs> and he shook his head and I was like, I'm sorry. And I turned around and walked away with my yeah. life. So. Yeah, <laughs> with your life, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, he, he was everywhere, man, and and he was always yeah. tough to beat. And I have tremendous respect for him. You know, he was always cutting up and ready to have a good time, just he as was. much as he wanted to, to whip you out there on the track. So he was, and but I one thing about it, and he was he was a personality. If it would have been the WWE or whatever, he'd have been one of those wrestlers that had the personality that everybody loved. But if I he was definitely get... Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? If there was if there was one to put it there, because because yeah. he was there to party and have a good he time was. and joke around. So. But but if I he always every time he saw me, he always went up and, and said hi. And I knew I could always if I went to him and said 
I need to talk to you. I need an answer. I need a straight answer on something. I knew that he would turn off all the buttons and give me as best answer as he could. And that's the kind of guy he was, but you'd never know that till you really got to know him. But he's a pretty cool dude. Well, let's, yeah, let's, I agree. let's go ahead and transition then into, from your perspective, give me a couple of the toughest guys over the years you had to race against. And you had some big wins and some championships on your resume, but you had to beat some pretty tough dudes to get there. So share with us some couple stories on some of the toughest guys you had to race with and, and, and beat. Well, to go sequ- sequentially or chronologically, however you want to put it, um, to be able to, to race with and beat some of the toughest guys um, who have, who've ever sat in the seat, I, I go back to my first uh, cart week feature race that I ever made um, was in 1999, December 99. Uh, let, we let me interrupt you one second, Chuck. Just I want to yeah. set the stage here. <clears throat> so to say cart week feature, again, we're, we're going to have people listen to this podcast that won't appreciate what a cart week uh, feature was. Okay, so let's, let's set the stage and I'm going to hand it back to you, but I want to make sure people understand Daytona cart week one of 2000 the, people one of the one of the key parts of Daytona Cart Week back in the day was the races at at the uh, at the stadium yes. and we would get 2000 plus entries we would have consies in the champ carts and all the other classes so when you number 1 you had to make the main just to be somebody right yes so absolutely. So, so i had it back to you chuck when you say i remember this one cart week feature the fact that you were in the feature and chasing a win tells you how how good he was doing. Because believe me, if you're if you're chasing a win and the, the grandstands were just full of people, I mean it was awesome. You knew you had something going on. So go ahead, Chuck, and go ahead with your story. But I want to make sure people appreciate what what was going on here. It, it really is something to be appreciated, mm-hmm. Randy. Because I mean, you guys used to hand out stickers. I made the main at Daytona. Yeah, and that's right. In in '99, we ran we signed up for four classes, controlled, medium, and heavy, and stock medium and heavy. Um, and we made controlled heavy. Um, we hit on the setup. You know, we were pitted with Todd Miller, and, and we had finally hit on some stuff with tire prep and setup and whatnot. And controlled heavy was a, a flat cart, which we were never too awfully successful in. But the, the controlled engines had a little bit more horsepower, and I seemed to do a little bit better with that. But um, – we, we qualified fourth for the controlled heavy feature at Daytona, which was completely wow. out of the field. Um, I was, I was 16 years old. <laughs> Were uh, you nervous? Um, well, I was nervous because I'd never been in that big of a stage before. Um, and qualifying up front, there's an expectation to finish up front. Yep. When you look and you see the two of the three names that are in front of you, Stacy Beam and Ron Moon, and you're like, well, I'm not on these guys' level. <laughs> you are today. But, but um, to be able to go back, to be able to, to race with and, and beat some of the best in the champ carts, this race in 99 played a, a pivotal role because I was taught a very fast lesson in humility in this race. Um, I was very confident in in my cart coming into this feature because we had qualified so well and it it seemed so easy for me to qualify fourth so i'm i'm in there 
go get the green flag. And I, I remember coming down the front stretch and my car is handling really well the first couple of laps. I was like, all right, I'm feeling good. I'm just going to settle in here. Well, I get a run on Ron Moon for second place. Oh, boy. And I passed him. But it was going into turn one, I remember. And I we made a little bit of contact. Nothing bad. You know, nothing. You know, just typical racing stuff. And I pass him. And I'm in second place and controlled heavy. And I'm staring down. I believe it was Stacy Beam was leading the race. And I'm catching him. And I'm catching him quick, Randy. And I'm, <laughs> I'm laser locked in on his, on his rear bumper. Yep complete tunnel vision on his rear bumper and i'm like i'm gonna catch him i'm gonna take the lead at a wk race at daytona yeah i'm feeling so good about myself and i'm like todd's gonna be proud of me my dad's gonna be proud of me i'm I'm running second and then a lap or two later i look and i see this black nose cone underneath me Uh oh. all right i'm not you know it's early in the race i'll let this one guy go and i'll just settle in oh no well it was ron moon yeah and um Ron puts what can only be described as a veteran move on me going into the turn. Again, absolutely nothing dirty, but he gave me a little nudge on the side and he got me out of shape. And it was almost like he was saying, I'm Ron Moon and you're a punk kid. You're not <laughs> Ron Moon. And you're about, I'm about to teach you a lesson, take you to school. And he did. And he got, um, I fell back two or three spots. I said, okay, that's cool. I'm still, I'm still good. Yeah. Um, but I, I, my confidence was still high, but I learned humility in that very moment. Yeah. Um, I ended up having an issue with my right front tire and I didn't finish the race, but it was still a very important race in my life. And, and, you know, Ron Moon may not know me if I was walking next to him, but you know, I, I remember that race and I appreciate the lesson that he taught me <laughs> as hard as it was because I needed it. Yeah, And it was so important and pivotal to, to the rest of my career. I leaned on that and never forgot it. Obviously yeah. we're talking 21 years later now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the pretty, next that's day, a, that's a pretty cool story. 31 years later, actually, Chuck, if it was 31, 99. No, this was 99. 99. Oh, 21. Yeah. 20, you're right. 21. 21. 21 yeah. Oof, got, got my mask <laughs> Sorry skills. about that. <laughs> I lost confidence in my mask. <laughs> yeah. Me. No, you're good. <laughs> I was like, I'm only 37. How am I running controlled heavy? <laughs> old that's pretty impressive um so uh the next day was the last day of of the four day cart week and it's stock heavy and i got a little bit of confidence because i just made this race so we got to practice and and we're walking up to the grid and i'm behind todd miller who's also in the race i said okay if there's anybody in the world to just sit here and and learn how to get more laps around this track it's todd miller because he's right in my opinion he's the greatest of all time mm-hmm so I go out and I let him get four or five cart lengths ahead of me and I pass him. I'm doing better than Todd. I'm, and so here it is again, confidence, ego through the roof. I just passed my hero at Daytona. Yeah. I'm better than him right now. Oh my goodness. And so oh, no. I forget all about the lesson that Ron Moon had taught oh, me less no. than 24 hours later. <laughs> so I'm going and I'm feeling good. And then here comes Eddie Michu, who made me and Todd both look like we were sitting still. Yeah. So I went from egos through the roof back to humility again. Yep. Um, as Eddie Michu told me, you're not really that fast. Here's me going by. You. <laughs> right, right. Um, so those, the the race with Ron and then the practice with, with Todd and Eddie, just like there's three of the greatest to ever sit in the seat right there. Oh, yeah. And I got 
I got lessons from all of them at certain points in my life um, and, and very thankful for that. So it's funny, funny story that, that set the stage for my career in karting really in, in that one week. And um, that was setting up for the 2000 season. You know, we had, we had run the old Tecumseh stock five horsepower class in the flat carts in 99 on the national series. They did away with that because we didn't have a whole lot of carts. Um, so we knew we weren't going to be that great in doing the stock medium and stock heavy thing. The control classes were good, but you know, we wanted something that was going to, that was going to be the best, you know, bang for our buck where we, we knew it, maybe it was a little something different, find my niche. So my dad talks to, to this guy that, that a lot of people know as Todd's brother, but I know him as Jody Miller and right. Jody convinced us to buy a champ cart from Mark Mode at, uh, well, it was from him, but it was Mark Mode Trick Olympic chassis. Um, and we made the switch to champ carts in, in 2000, um, thanks to Jody. And, uh, you know, if you mention the toughest guys you ever raced against, you know, Jody Miller is it, you know, Jody Miller was, was the Richard Petty to my David Pearson is, is the way I always tell my friends, you know, yeah. he was as good as it gets when it comes to champ carts. Yeah, he um, was, I agree. He's another one that uh, when you think about top champ cart names, uh, Jody comes up for sure. Absolutely. And, and we had a, we had a great friendly rival rivalry because we always wanted to beat each other. Um, you know, just, just that alone made us, made me in particular, try harder and work harder and make sure my stuff was absolutely a hundred percent ready to go because I knew what I was up against. Um, you know, Jody was always, always tough to beat. And even when he missed the setup, he was still competitive. And that just shows mm -hmm. you just how good he really was. And that's not just in champ carts. He had success in, in flat carts as well. Right. He, was, he was that good. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the, I, I tell his story. I think about the 2003 season, we won the, star champ national championship and the senior champ national championship. And up until that year, we, we were just okay in the senior champ class with the, the Briggs motors. Um, but we, we come into the last national race at Nisi's there, Thunder Valley in South Carolina. Right. Um, that's a good track that, that just recently shut its doors. Um, but I knew coming into that cause everybody's figuring up points. What do I got to do to clinch the championship, you know, I knew I had to beat Jody because uh, Jody was was the uh, the only threat to it was either me or him was going to win the championship. Um, so I remember a lot of that race he was leading and I was marred back in about fifth or sixth um, and I was fast but I couldn't get around guys. Um, we had a caution about halfway through the race and and Jody got passed and he fell back to third. And I had made my way to fourth and I was right behind him. And I said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to settle in here and I'm, I'm just going to wait for Jody to make a mistake. And then I'm going to take advantage. And after about a lap and a half, I remember telling myself, you idiot, Jody Miller doesn't make mistakes. Behind <laughs> he's, he's it's just not going to happen. Right. He doesn't make a mistake. <laughs> so I, I took about a lap to see where my car was better than him. That's the, the next best thing to do. Um, I found a place where I was better than him. And um, I said, okay, I'm, you know, we're really close. So as, as far as speed, uh, so I said, I know I'm going to have to make this move and I'm going to have to do it right. 
you know, I, I'm not a dirty driver and I know Jody is, is anything but a dirty driver. So I said, I'm, I'm not going to, to make any contact with him. I'm going to make sure that, that if I make this pass, it's going to be as clean as possible. And I was thinking back to the last race in 2001 in, in the champ, the star champ class, when I had a chance to make the move on, on my buddy, Jason Motes, and, and I didn't want to, to have any rough contact with him either. And I lost the championship by one position because I didn't dive the car in there. I said, I cannot yeah. let that happen. Right. And I remember coming off the track and Jody telling me, he's like, you should have dove it in there. Yeah. <laughs> and well, if I happen to make contact with Jody, at least I can go back to that. And like, you told me two years right. ago to dive it in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I found where I was better than him in 2003. I made the pass perfectly clean because Jody is, he's got great vision out there. He saw me, gave me the room. Uh, I let off, made sure I didn't uh, ride up the track because, because Nisi's was, had some tight corners. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy track to get around. Um, but I knew he would, he wouldn't ever drive me dirty. He never did. I never saw him do that to anybody. Um, I made the move. I held him off. And that was the move that won us the championship. Wow. And, uh, and that was, that was a, a huge, huge thing for me. Um, to so be able you, to, to win both. So, so you, you, you calculated the move you found, you see, you found the, the strongest part of the, the track for you, where you had the biggest advantage over Jody. I assume it's coming off of either, either two or four, right? You're coming off the corner and you've got to be set up where you can get down low. Yeah, as it turns out, he missed his gearing by by one or two sprockets. He was turning okay. a little bit too many RPM, so he didn't have the straightaway speed that he wanted. Okay. Um, and and I, I knew that. So I knew I had to get off the corner better right. in order to keep better speed because I was going to have better speed at the end of the straightaway. So I ended up, I believe it was off of turn four, I ended up going about a half groove higher into three and four so i could carry a little bit more momentum right okay and i got i got it to stick and i got the run on him and, and was able to make the pass um, wow and he i remember he got a run on me a couple of laps later and i saw his nose but again being the absolute professional that he is he didn't drive it in on me right and, and so I, and, saw and, him, I saw him there but he, he again he was as clean as a driver as there ever was so so, and I, I, I'm, I guess it's probably instinct, but at what point, because, you know, most every pass on a, on a dirt oval or a pavement for that matter, it's going to be a, you know, a, a carry momentum off the corner, dip down low and get inside into the next corner. When do you know when you're coming up beside the guy you want to pass, at what point do you go, yep, I'm far enough in, I can carry it or man, I better back out because he's going to pinch me. I mean, is it just instinct or some point in time, do you roll the dice? What, at what point do you feel confident enough that you can keep it in there? I usually if, would go with half cart length. If I'm, okay. if I'm half a cart length uh, up halfway on this guy or girl, yeah. um, you know, he, he or she can probably see me out of the side. And if they don't, if they don't look and they don't notice me there, if we make contact, I'm going to, pretty much be in good shape because i'm on the inside i've got position and if we make contact it's not going to take either one of us out right right um, and that's and that's probably a good measurement yeah yeah that that's how it was and, and it also mattered with if i got halfway to somebody and i stalled out you know as in you know the draft or i didn't have the the momentum that i thought i had 
Um, I was always more of a conservative driver than I was aggressive driver, sometimes to a fault. Um, but if I had the momentum and I was halfway up on somebody, you know, I was going to keep it in there. Right. Uh, more, more times than not. Um, and, and that's fair, I think. And if at that point, honestly, if the guy on the outside comes down on you, he's going to hurt himself more than he's going to hurt you probably. Right? Absolutely. And, and that happened to me several times, you know, people just not, not using their peripheral vision that it's right. a very important thing. Right. I'm amazed it happens not to get off on a tangent, but it's amazing how it happens in Formula One and IndyCar. It's like, guys, you, you're not going to, you're not in the, in a bargaining position here. You're on the outside. If a guy sticks it in, you're not going to pinch him off. It's not a late model. You're not right. going to pinch him off and make him spin. He's going to clip you and he's going to keep going and you're going to be out, but they still do it. I, I, and I think it's maybe because they just, like you said, they don't have that peripheral vision. We have a, uh, a company here, not far from where I live, a friend of mine, Jeff Hoisington with Rage Carts. I yeah, I know Rage. Jeff. Jeff. Jeff's a yeah. good guy. Jeff's an awesome guy. And I'll never forget, it was at, I think I want to say Possum Kingdom. And he and his son Brad were down there with their Rage Cart. And it came time for the Champ Cart feature. And I was in the pits. I was walking around a little bit. And I walked up and I looked. And here's Brad starting outside front row. And I said, hey, gone. I went up and I wished him luck. And I said to Jeff, he goes, man, he says, we're living the dream. And I don't know where he finished. I don't think he won it. But but I really was impressed with the fact that here's a kid from Ohio coming down. This is in no way a home game for him. He's coming down to the south. But you guys showed him respect. He he showed you guys that he knew what he was doing. And he raced with you guys wheel to wheel. And I was really impressed, not just with what Brad did, but how everybody kind of said, oh, this kid's got it going on. You know, we'll race him clean if he races us clean. And you guys did, you know, so that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, that's that's how I was with those guys. A lot of those guys that ran champ carts for years, you know, we're, we're, we race you how you race us. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. got I got one or two races in at Possum Kingdom before I retired. And that that's a totally different animal. Than <laughs> that's a super speedway. <laughs> that is definitely a super speedway. And yeah. if you want to talk about the draft. Um, only one place I've ever been to where the draft uh, counted more than at Possum Kingdom. And that was four cycle day at Daytona International Speedway. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, Jeff, Jeff was one of the nicest guys in karting as well. You know, yeah. um, I raced with Jeff for a couple of races. Um, really good guy. Nothing but positive things to say about every, everything that he does. And, and he still is a, he still makes the rage and he's very supportive of, uh, uh, of racing up this way. You know, uh, that, uh, he's, he's been real involved with the Pennsylvania series and, uh, and around Ohio there, he does a reunion race every year down. I think it's just South of here about an hour, uh, but just real supportive of carding and has a lot of racers still with him. So uh, yeah, he's That's a good, good guy. So uh, we know you had some fond memories of the stadium, but I know you talked about Waynesfield. Tell us about a couple other tracks other than the stadium in Daytona where you were really fond of and had some success at. One of the, one of the tracks that I was lucky enough to see to be at one of the very first races with Southern Pit in Eastern North Carolina um, over there in Aden, uh, which I ended up being stationed in the Air Force, not not too far from there. Um, unfortunately, after the track had already closed, but when it when it opened, it was the biggest track I had ever been on. It was a little bit bigger than Margaretsville, um, and just as smooth as glass. Yeah, we saw it. I was like, I remember talking to some guys when we went there in 2000. We were there in July 2000. 
for a North Carolina divisional race was the first time I saw it. And I'm like, man, you could roller skate on that thing if I knew how yeah. to roller skate. <laughs> uh, but uh, very smooth and fast. And I have fond memories of Southern Pitt. I won a divisional race there. I, I always did good at the Nationals. The 2003 Grand Nationals for the WK Dirt. Um, I Wow, that was a great weekend. I remember I got I had a second and a third. And I think I think Jody won the star champ race, finished second in the senior champ race to, to JL Furrow, which the three of us, boy, it was all the three of us in senior champ that year. Um, you know, most of Todd's team was parked outside of turns three and four on the fence line over there. And, you know, just the, the entire team really had a good weekend uh, in the various classes. Uh, but every time one of our team members won a race, I remember being out there on that fence line and the guys would get in the trucks in their motorhomes and just be laying on the horn and flashing their lights. There you go. And, and I remember just enjoying that and just being like, man, this is a team. This is guys who really care yeah. about each other. Yep. Um, I remember Tony Belk, I think he won stock heavy on that Sunday. He came around three and four and saw us and the lights were flashing and he pointed to his Todd Miller racing engine sticker on his side panel. And everybody was just, we were as loud as we could be. Yeah. It was just that, that pure joy. You know, Tony Belk has been doing this for a long time. A thousand years, right? <laughs> right. Um, and he's just one of the, the greatest. Um, that, another one that I got to compete in in my early days. Um, but just a great team moment of pure joy. Um, great memory from the 20, 2003 Grand Nationals. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you mentioned Waynesfield, Ohio. Um, <laughs> for as much fun as I had at the stadium, Waynesfield, Ohio was probably my second favorite track based on results. Um, a tricky little track, you know, not your typical oval, um, but I liked it because it was different than your your typical Southern tracks, which are your your low downforce tracks that um, and flat. Um, the, the track in Waynesfield didn't have a whole lot of bite in it. You had to be on your game. And I remember we went there 2003 and 2005 for the Nationals. And um, in those four races that we ran, we were, we were on the pole in every single race. And we had three out of four wins. Uh, the only time we didn't win was the first senior champ race. We were, I remember we were running second behind J.L. Furrow. And uh, my buddy, since running the Tecumseh stock class, in 99, Michael Rivers um, got got into the side of me, knocked me back to about 20th, and I ended up coming back to finish fifth. Um, but Mike, Michael came came right to the right to me after the race. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. And I was like, I know, man. It was crazy because, yeah. you know, we had guys there that had never raced with us before because we mm -hmm. were in territory that was kind of unfamiliar. And it was right. it was crazy. It was an MMA race. And, um, you know, <laughs> Michael is a, is a great friend. So is Jimmy Rivers. Uh, very happy with the success that he's getting. Uh, still involved in karting. Um, 2005 Nationals was probably the easiest weekend me and my dad ever had at a WKA race. Um, we only changed the rear sprocket one time from Saturday to Sunday because we went up and wait. The, the weight class went up. That was all we changed all weekend. We never changed tires. We never changed wow. front gear, nothing. Wow. Um, and that was because we unknowingly had the wrong front sprocket on the clutch. Um, and we were only turning at about 5,700 RPMs, which is about eight, 900 less than what you want to be turning. 
Um, but we were afraid to touch it because we were so fast yeah. and so good. Um, so, you know, we had there been a bunch of cautions in those races, uh, like a typical champ cart race, we, we may not have finished so well, but, but there wasn't a whole lot of cautions. I remember Sunday we had one caution and Roger Paget. Mr. Iron Man was was on my tail and Lindsey Barton. It was um, oh yeah, Lindsay. with Matt Connell. Lindsey was amazing. Yeah. Um, she was where well, she could wheel them with the best of them. Uh, but they were they were all over me. But I was able to hold them off and and uh, you know get get two wins that weekend. So I always enjoyed going to Waynesfield, even though it yeah. took us a day and a half to get there. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> way. So yeah. I always called that one your home track. You know, you didn't want to you usually traveled far to, for the rest of it. You wanted everybody to come to your place. So well, the the story behind that it was a the, the guy that owned it is just an awesome guy, but he's a farmer, and um, uh, he built that track. It's kind of like a field of dreams. He built it and in his cornfield, right? In his cornfield, <laughs> and he since since you were there. In fact, he might have started it, but if, since you were there, he built a, a big quarter mile sprint car track in behind it. And if you look at the uh, the Ollie's Bargain Outlet All Star Circuit of Champions schedule, there is a race every year at Waynesfield, Ohio. It that's it. It's right next to the go kart track. Is his? I think I remember track. seeing it because yeah. I remember I remember we showed up in 03 and people were were worried about the the go kart track that we ended up racing on. I said, let's go over here to this big track over here and run this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I was he, ready he to built- go on the big track. He built that. He was just a really smart guy, Greg Shobe. And, uh, but he, uh, yeah, he was, a, he was a cool guy. And I'm, I'm glad we got it up there. It wasn't the most popular thing for a lot of the drivers in the South. They didn't want to come that far, which was unfortunate, but, uh, sure. Uh, but you know, it's, it's just how it is. But, um, so I always, we, I always gave Todd a bunch of crap because he never made it up to either of those races because yeah. <laughs> he always timed it. And his and his wife Melissa always had a baby right around. The oh, huh. coincidence? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was fun, and, and yeah. I I'd be I'd be remiss to to not include Beechnut Raceway on on track. Oh yeah, yeah. I've forgotten. Yeah, um, Beechnut. We we started going there in in 2002 for the <laughs> because most of the North Carolina dirt divisionals were about eight nine hours from us because me and my dad and mom we lived in the mountains of western north carolina okay so the the closest track to us that the north carolina series raced was was riverside which was you know phil combs's home track and a lot yep. of boy, yep. that was a fast little fast mm-hmm. racetrack there mm-hmm. uh, that was two and a half hours for us um so beach Nut, we we saw oh that's a wk sanctioned divisional every race is at that track yeah it's an hour and a half yeah yeah we're gonna go there there you go and uh so we wanted to do some research so so i looked up and you know the wk magazine sometime would print the divisional points mm-hmm. and i looked and and i said who can i talk to about this beach nut raceway wouldn't you know it roger paget yeah <laughs> he raced the tennessee state series as well as andretti stevens who was also a good one um, so we, we talked to some guys and we said, all right, we're going to go try this out. We show up and we race Randy. That was the smoothest track. Yeah, I've ever it was. I agree. My entire life. Yep. Yep. Um, luckily the, uh, the Tennessee divisional series didn't have the turnout that the WK nationals did. So we didn't have the parking issues that you guys had mm-hmm. back in the day with that, with that mountain behind it. But, um, <laughs> right. Oh, uh, you know, I, 
I'm out here in Kuwait and sometimes I get downtime. I actually went on to the old beach nut Facebook page. Yeah. And I saw where somebody posted photos of their kid running back in 2002. I was like, man, uh -huh. I was at that race. Sure. And then I look up and at, uh, you know, Google, Google earth or Google maps and you see what it looks like now it's all covered yeah, in weeds and run down. Shame. You know, it, it really, really sad. You know, I, I didn't always have good memories at that track as far as some things, but, um, it was always fun to race there because the track was just as smooth as ever. Um, and some good people that I raced against, um, including Roger Paget, Andretti Stevens, and some others. Um, and just, you know, Matt Connell who came over and raced a couple of times with us. He's doing some great things in karting now. Um, but it just run you, you you think back like I remember sitting on the fence line watching these races and I can just see them in my head watching cars come into turn three right. and four from the right. grid. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't think about it at the time, you know that nobody can have those memories at that track anymore because it just doesn't exist and it's a right. shame. Um, that's in a not that's in a racing town. You know you're 10 minutes from Bristol Motor Speedway there's yeah there that that's a racing community and that's they had several other tracks that, that shut down recently in that area. And it's, it's sad to see. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that, that it could, it could pour down rain for 20 minutes at that track. And then 45 minutes after the rain quit, the track would be two to three tenths quicker than it was before. Right. I've never seen that before in my life. Um, I, I remember that the first time we were there and it rained and, and I'm, I'm looking at Roger Pageant. I'm like, when are they going to call this race off? Like, this is over. It's done. We're going to be here till four o'clock in the morning. He's like, nah, watch. This track will be faster afterwards. And doggone <laughs> it, he wasn't right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was it was a good time. So yeah, I, we always those, enjoyed those, going there. Those were the tracks that outside of the stadium that that really brought back some yeah. good memories. You, you have other places like Tyro and and Riverside that and mm -hmm. that uh, that were really legendary tracks in their day. Right, right. Well, in, in some of our conversations, we talked about uh, chassis setup. And one of the things you mentioned to me that you said sometimes gets underappreciated is uh, tires. Not prepping them, but just knowing the right stagger, the right measurements for a setup for a particular track. So expand a little bit on that because you told me you really focused a lot on making sure, you know, you had the right tires in the right spot you know the right stagger and and ha when how do you determine when you when you got it just right other than just i assume when whatever makes it faster but you only get so many chances to see what's faster right it really is a true statement you think back to to days of thunder which was going off of the harry hyde tim richmond story tires is what wins a race yeah that was true back then it was true when i raced it's true today um, based off of what I'm seeing, the people that I follow on Facebook and, you know, it's, it, if you know what wins a race, that's where, you know, you've got to put most of your effort into and really concentrate. So I was never really a big one to, to do a whole lot of prep on my tires outside of Daytona, um, because that was kind of a necessary evil. I'm pretty sure I'm immune to coronavirus because of all the stuff that we've been through. <laughs> yeah. Um, but stagger was was the next important thing staggering in the the hardness on the tires you know we ran the champ carts we ran burris tires and it was either your your m15 
tires or in 2002 or 2000 or no, 2003 was the first year that they introduced the SS55 compound. So it made it easier for us. I, I'm going to run a Burris SS55. Do I want the one that just happened to come out of the factory a little bit softer or the one that's harder? Mm -hmm. um, that was the only choice I had to make because every week before a race, we would have one set of tires that we put on the car. It was always the same set of tires that we scaled the car out with. And we ran the same percentages as far as showing up to the track, no matter where we went, because we wanted a baseline. Um, and, and we wanted to make sure everything was as, as equal and the same as could be from track to track, which is why we put the same set of tires on for every time we scaled the car out before we got to the track. Okay. Um, so I made sure that set of tires was exactly the right measurements that I wanted. And then Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday before we would leave on a Friday for a race, I'm spending late nights in the garage making sure those tires are the exact measurements that I want. If it was a 16th of an inch off on Wednesday, I stayed up until I got it that 16th of an inch corrected. How did you get it corrected? I made sure what did you have whether to do we to were... What Whether did you need we were, to do to get it corrected? Either if you had to expand the tire, you just pumping it full of air to stretch the rubber a little bit. Or okay. if you needed to shrink it, if you needed to shrink it, you're letting all the air out and and I would try to do my best Furman Myers muscles impression and squeeze the rubber <laughs> down. Yeah. You know, and then the measurement, you're gonna take whatever temp you're gonna run for the race and then you're gonna air it up to that, and then that's where you take your measurement from is racing pressure. Uh yeah, we always we always did uh you know, the, the, it wasn't necessarily racing pressure because that could change depending on where you True. go. True, yeah. Um, but we always made sure it was the same uh, PSI every time. I got Again, you. So you just had a constant sure PSI to take the measurement. It didn't have to be racing uh, PSI, but the, you, the same PSI when you measured yes. all the time. That's correct. That, because, yeah, okay. I mean, if you... If you're running 10 PSI in a tire and it measures one way, if you, if you end up, because of champ cars, because they were, they had the higher center of gravity and it weighed a little bit more, you ran more air pressure than okay. the flat cards did. Um, so if we were running 16, 17 PSI on our outside tires, of course the tire is going to be a little bit bigger, but because you ran the same PSI when you measured it and then it was, what's the word here? It was equivalent, but just with higher you know, the, the difference in the PSI between tires was the same. Um, you know, the, the measurement was going to be the same. Right. So the, st right. the stagger was going to be equal. Working with the same, uh, yeah, the same element there. So absolutely. when you get it, I would have to think when you get a track like, let's say, Waynesfield, which was kind of a smaller, yes, small, one of the smaller tracks we went to, and then you get a track like Possum Kingdom, I would think mm -hmm. you'd have a drastic difference in stagger. You would think now, I, I a lot of those guys back in the day. Again, I haven't been to a kart race since 2014, I think. Um, so I have no idea what they're doing nowadays. I'd be completely lost if I showed up. But um, a lot of people back in the day in champ cars were running one inch stagger in the rear. Okay. And I I tried it and I just couldn't get it to work. So I didn't run one inch stagger. I ran less. And again, I just. I'm a simple guy, Randy. I don't like uh, con confusing, confusing things. So, sure. um, you know, I tried to run the same stagger setup for every place. Now, Possum okay. Kingdom 
with the long straightaways and, and you know you don't spend a whole lot of time in the corners and, and corner setup really isn't as critical as it is at a place like Waynesfield. Um, yeah, you're in a, a, a little bit less stagger there because mm-hmm. you wanted to make sure your cart was was heading down those long straightaways right nice and right. nice and free. Yeah, right. So but uh, you know we didn't really change a whole lot from track to track um, just because we didn't we didn't want to have to deal with it. We took really good notes and we'd look back on on notes from previous races oh what worked when this weather looked like this and this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what we went off of and, and we didn't try to confuse things and, and get to outthink ourselves so to yeah. speak. Keep it simple. Absolutely. We, we kept yeah. it simple and, and, you know, seemed, seemed to work out. We were, we were pretty good. So good deal. Well, we, we talked about people that had an impact on your racing career and two names came to mind. And certainly when it comes to, to dirt track karting in the South or na- nationally, not just in the South, these are two pretty pr- 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 premier names, Todd Miller and Mark Mode. And let's start with Todd Miller. Share a couple of memories with Todd and how he influenced your racing career, Chuck. I have more than just a couple of memories of Todd that I could share with, but we'll, we'll keep it <laughs> sure. within the time constraints. Um, Todd, like I said earlier, he's, in my opinion, the greatest to ever do it. Mm-hmm. He, he won on dirt. He won on asphalt. He ran the Brayson Stratton 300. Mm-hmm. won that by himself when multiple guys were doing driver right. swaps um, right right he's done everything and then he he just builds a whale of a motor and and sets up a cart as good as anybody mm-hmm. to this day he's still got guys up there he's his carts are somebody to compete with um he doesn't race he doesn't get in the seat but he's still the setup guy um but my relationship with todd miller starts even before uh before i uh, moved to North Carolina when I was still living in Florida. We went to the 96 Daytona Cart Week um, as a Christmas present that my dad gave to me. And we we had, we were running a Twister Cart. Oh, Johnny Davis is Twister Carts yeah. back then. Yeah. Um, and we had one engine, one cart. We yeah. had, I think, two sets of Dunlop RM8 tires and some gear and oil and fuel. And that was all we had. And here we are at the WK Nationals. Um, of course we didn't make the race, but it was more about the experience, but you know, with four days of cart week, me and my dad, were walking through the pits and, and I remember it to this day, we're walking through and my dad says, I'm seeing a lot of these Todd Miller motors. And I'm like, who the heck is Todd Miller? Yeah. You know, and I'm looking over and it's black sticker with yellow lettering on it. Right. Right. So after we see the results from cart week that week and Todd's got wins himself and a bunch yeah. of other of his drivers are winning. We're like, we hear everybody like think Todd Miller racing engines. And my dad said, making the phone call as soon as we get home. All right. The dad calls and he orders a Todd Miller motor. So we go to the 1997 opening of the Florida divisional race uh, series is at Jasper, Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. Great cart track down there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're sitting on the grid for qualifying and I'm feeling really good. You know, I got my Todd Miller motor, you know, he's, he's the best. Um, then this guy comes and stands in front of my cart and he smiles at me and he waves. And I'm, I'm a nice guy. I was always taught to be respectful. I said way back, you know, and I'm thinking, who the heck is this guy? Get out of my way. My dad, he comes up behind him. He points to, this, to the old gray hat with a blue hat bill. It says Todd Miller racing engines on it. And I knew right then this was Todd Miller. Well, there you go. I said, all right. Nice to meet you, even though you can't hear me. 
<laughs> so we got to qualifying and, and wouldn't you know it, I had problems with my engine and, and you know, it was not, wouldn't run. So I, I didn't make the race. Um, but without being asked, we get back to the pits and Todd's right there and he's working on my engine. Really? And wow. that right there is where he gained my full respect. I already had respect for him as an engine builder and a driver based on right. what I'd already seen. Right. But as a person, he gained my full respect in that moment because he was watching me, even though he has no idea who this kid is. We're still running uh, junior stock at this point. So unrestricted. Yeah. But he he was watching and he took an interest because his name was on the engine. Yep. And I'll get back to that point later in the podcast when we talk about life lessons here. But his name was on the engine. He was watching and he took an interest. And he was there and he worked on the engine. He couldn't get it figured out based on the, the little tools that we had. Um, but he took the engine back with him and he fixed it. And, uh, and he didn't charge us to fix it, obviously, because it was our first race with the engine and it didn't go as planned. So my dad, we, we had been thinking about moving to North Carolina from Ocala, Florida at this point. This is early 97. And my dad says, you know, if we're going to move to North Carolina, we, we got to be more serious about racing. Because as good as the competition is in Florida, North Carolina, those boys live That's and right. breathe racing. <laughs> yep. So we're going to have to get really serious. So yep. my dad made a phone call to Todd. And, you know, Todd's apologetic about the engine death, says no problem, and get to talking about carts. And Todd says, you know, you need to get on this Phantom Stalker. So dad orders another Todd Miller engine and, and uh, a Phantom Stalker. Nice. We, so I said, okay. So we drive up to North Carolina, which my family typically did all the time. We like to go up and visit. And I remember pulling into Todd's house the first time. Um, his, his shop anybody that's been to his shop now um it's a nice big shop but at the time it was just a one car garage with two storage rooms on either side okay it's not the big shop that it is today i remember pulling into the house um it, you know, at the time it was his dad where his dad and mom lived um he owned the house now um but the garage door was open and my cart was sitting there white body I remember seeing Todd and another guy he had glasses. He's wearing a cutoff, one of those blue, old blue Todd Miller racing engine shirts. Yeah. Um, that turned out to be a guy named Jody Miller, who we've already <laughs> discussed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, little did I know, um, you know, the interactions that we would have. And, um, you know, in 97 and 98, when uh, early 98, when we had moved to North Carolina, me and my dad would go to Woodleaf Speedway, which is about three miles from Todd's house down, uh -huh. down Potneck Road there. Mm -hmm. We'd go on Sundays to race, and Todd would come and frustratingly mentor me as I raced against some of the greats like like Tony Belk and Matt McCall, who's now serving as crew chief for, for Kurt Busch up there in the Cup Right, series. right. Um, every Sunday, those guys were out there, and I would be racing against them, and sometimes beat them, sometimes not. Um most of the times when I didn't beat him, it was bonehead maneuvers by the driver. Um, <laughs> but Todd stuck with me. Yeah. And he treated me like family and treated my dad like family from day one. And he never fully gave up hope that maybe one day I would do something. Um, and then at the, the last North Carolina Divisional in 2000, I ended up looking into it to win the Star Champ. It was the first WKA sanctioned race that I ever won. Uh -huh. 
Todd, I remember to this day, ran down to the scales. This was at the old five county cartway in central yes. North Carolina. Mm -hmm. He ran down to the scales. He was the first one there. I thought he was going to jump on the cart. Uh, I had never seen him so excited in my life. Wow. He's usually pretty reserved, but I'd never seen yeah. him so excited. Um, and he jumped right in there to help break the, the engine down when I won in Daytona too. But that's awesome. You know, just he showed me that he cared. He treated me like family yep. and yep. he already had my full respect, but you know, those yeah. are just things that, that wow. a lot of people just don't do. And, yeah. and some, you know, quite frankly, some people just don't know ever happened. You know, a guy like right. Todd has got a whole lot of customers that he's got to take care of. Yep. Um, but uh, you know, he was always the one that, that worked on the engines. He told me, he's like, you know, you've been with me forever. I'm personally doing your stuff. Wow. Um, and he took an interest in me. He, I remember him jumping in there and, and boy, he was right there on those scales. He beat my dad down to it. And I figured for <laughs> sure, even though my dad didn't run so well, I figured for sure my dad would be so yeah. excited that we finally won a race after struggling for so many years. But oh, you know, Todd, Todd was the first one there. And, that's, that's an awesome story. It was, it was good. Um, and I remember coming off this, coming off the track at Daytona after the interview and, and waiting to get on the scales there is obviously not, not a whole lot of room there, but we did what we could took a little time to, to get off but I remember seeing Todd talk to my dad and Todd he's happy and my, of course my dad's ear to ear grin he didn't know what to do because um, but Todd hey just just take the engine off and I'll take care of everything else and, yeah yeah it's like Todd I'm not the only one that that's that's in the tech barn talk talking with Ralph and and, and old Jimmy in there yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, again he took the time to to make sure we were taken care of and that's and awesome that kind of stuff speaks volumes about the quality of person that you are dealing with not that's just right. the quality of an engine builder or or a business person but a person and yeah. uh, you know that's awesome. i i made it a point when i when i joined the air force and and me and my brand new wife at the time uh we set off from charlotte north carolina where we were living to to move to northern california right after basic training and, and I made it a point to stop by Todd's shop uh, on a, on a Sunday morning and ended up waking him up after, after a race the night before. And uh, we went down into the shop and talked for about an hour or so. And um, you know, I went to, went to try to go meet up with Mark as well. Every time I'm in the area, I try to yeah, meet up with Mark. That's awesome. Um, you know, it's just, just good, just good people, Randy, yep. really good people. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Mark mode. Um, yeah. Trick Olympic chassis, uh, kind of a, you know, how can I put it? Not, maybe not as certainly not as well known as Todd, but certainly has had a lot of success with the trick Olympic uh, brand and, uh, and a pretty good guy as well. Absolutely. You know, the Mark and, and trick Olympic guys, they never had the numbers as, as Harold Wiggins and Phantom do. And, and, you know, all the success is warranted for Harold and the Phantom chassis. They do outstanding stuff, but March trick Olympic stuff for, for the percentages and the numbers that they have vice, you know, the, the quantity of people running the Phantom chassis, those trick Olympic guys, they, they're doing good stuff and they're successful and they have mm -hmm. been successful dating back to, to when uh, Rodney Childers and, and Roger Padgett were running with them. Right. Um, you know, they've always been competitive. Uh, I remember at Daytona in stock medium, uh, Mark showed me a picture. He says, look this. 
and JL Furrow and Chad Billings were on the front row and stopped meeting. He's like, look at those two Olympic graphics on the front right there. He was so proud of that. Yeah, sure. Like, Man, that's your advertisement for the year right there. Right. It doesn't get any better. Front row, stop right. meeting in Daytona. Yep. So, um, you know, I got introduced to Mark again through Jody because because Jody, uh, when he started running champ carts, ran Trick Olympic as well because because uh, Phantom didn't have a champ cart. Um, and like I said, Jody was the reason we got in to, to running champ carts. So we loaded up for the, the WK National at Jasper in 2000, April of 2000. Um, we had one set of burst tires. We had our, our Briggs engine that we already had. We had a borrowed 10 horsepower Star Champ Tecumseh motor and the old Noram clutch, about as yeah. cheap a clutch as we could get. And we went down, no idea what to do. We didn't even make one practice in Star Champ. And we ended up sitting a son of a gun on the pole. Oh, my. And uh, we ran up front the whole race. Um, there was a late caution. And nobody had told me that with these old Star Champ motors and the, the Noram clutches, you got to keep them a little revved up when they're under caution or else they'll die on you. Oh, we're under caution here with about four or five laps to go. I'm running second to Jason Merriman, who I'd been on his tail the whole race. Um, and the motor quit on me during the caution laps. Oh. It was disappointing, but uh, we knew right then that, that we had found our niche and, and that was running with champ cards. So mm -hmm. from that race on, you know, Mark came over, introduced himself. We began building a relationship with Mark. You know, he would come over and, and hang out and, you know, give us advice if we were struggling with something. Um, but again, because when you put the Trick Olympic sticker on the side of the cart, that's Mark's name on it. And he wanted yep. to make sure that these people were taken care of. Yeah. Um, he always gave us constant support through the years, even when he wasn't even at the racetrack. But just like Todd, he showed me that he cared. He took an interest in me and my dad and our program. And, and in turn, we wanted to make sure we had good results for them. Um, because we cared just as much about them as they did for us. And, and obviously we wanted to run good because that, that certainly a good, good feeling to have. So. Yeah, that's, that, that's awesome. It's good stuff. Uh, and I, and I, I can't, I can't go on without, you know, I mentioned Harold Wiggins and Phantom chassis. We ran mm -hmm. Phantom, ran the Phantom stalker and the Phantom Banshee and, and the cart that Harold for sure wants to forget about the, the Phantom gauntlet. We had each of those. And when I switched to, to champ carts and, you know, Phantom wasn't, wasn't in the champ cart business at the time until um, Jody was very instrumental in bringing that along. Harold never wavered from being a friend as well. Mm -hmm. um, he, he used to congratulate me when I come off the scales uh, running North Carolina divisional races. Um, but he made it a point to congratulate me at Daytona in December, 2002, when I won both champ cart races, he, pulled me over to the side and he shook my hand. He said, I'm so proud of you. And that's that again, the type of person that you're dealing with that speaks yeah. volumes. I'm not running his cart. Yeah. If anything, I'm hurting his business <laughs> by winning yeah. on another cart, but he yeah. still had the respect and, and, and he was a good person to come over and make it a point to tell me good job. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we lost our, our house to a fire, um, the Friday before Thanksgiving in 2000. Oh, geez. And uh, we lost almost everything we, we had minus the racing equipment because we kept it at our business. Um, but, you know, the guys at the North Carolina 
dirt series, Ronnie Miller and Harold Wiggins and, and Todd and Mark and all those guys, uh, Tommy Chumney as well, Tommy's Cars and Parts, they, they did a whole lot for us. Wow. Which I'll talk about more, the, the karting family. But after we, we rebuilt our house, we invited everybody over who, who was family. A lot of the karting guys came over. Mm -hmm. um, Todd, Jody, Sean Parker, who raced champ karts for years with us, another one of those tough guys to beat. Mm -hmm. um, Jason Motes, another one. They came over to the house. Um, and uh, Harold came over early and he stayed and he talked with dad and they talked racing and talked about how, how good a stuff Mark does and, you know, how we we appreciated Harold still being a friend and, and you know for him again to show that interest in a person even though you're not running their product again yeah. just tells you th these are the type of people you have in carding most of them right you have good people yeah and uh and and that's why people are so loyal to phantom not only because they make an outstanding product but because they're dealing with good people you know you got you got harold and tony belt because is, is been there for years helping them out. I mean, you just got people that, that care and will give you the time of day. That's how you are in business as well as having a good product. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Chuck. Well said. Well, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of the show about the fact that we're halfway around the world talking to you in Kuwait right now, which that in itself is amazing. But take us through a normal day with Chuck Broadway while he's deployed in Kuwait at the base over there, just give us an overview of what a normal day's like for you. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're in these, these coronavirus is COVID-19 times. So a lot of this stuff is shut down over here. Um, fortunately I'm deployed to a place that is, if you're talking deployed locations, this is one of the, the better ones to be at. You know, we have, uh, good internet connection. So I'm able to keep in touch with family back home and, and do this podcast with you so far. We haven't had any connection issues yeah, that I'm knock on wood. With. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, because everything's shut down as far as morale and we just actually got the gym open back up not too long ago, you know, I pretty much, I work nights over here because that's a busy time for us be, um, being that we're seven hours ahead of East coast time. If, uh, if the media um, has any questions and whatnot, that it's they're going to be answered overnight. Um, so what I do for the Air Force is I'm a public affairs media operations chief. I lead a team of five, uh, and we work with international media. Anybody from your top uh, news outlets in the in the U.S., um, CNN, Fox News, ABC, Washington Times, Washington Post, New York Times, the Associated Press to international media like Al Jazeera or um, the BCC. Uh, we work with all those guys to relay wow. information regarding combined joint task force operation inherent resolve. I work wow. at the headquarters for that operation. Uh, we cover all of Iraq and uh, Northeast Syria. And our Jeez. coalition of, of people in, includes over 40 countries right now. Wow. Um, from, from around the world, all united to uh, defeat the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or as a lot of people know them as ISIS or Daesh. Um, and we help the, the region transition to a form of stability so the United States can, and the rest of the coalition wow. partners can return home and, our, and uh, you know, the region can, can be autonomous. That's awesome. Um, so with the COVID, I, I go into work 
Um, I eat twice a day because I work overnight. So there's only two meal times open. Um, I sleep, I exercise, I run about 15 miles a week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's pretty much life right now. I, I, I video chat with my family as often as I can. Um, the fortunate thing about working the night shift over here is that most people back in the States on East Coast time, it's, it's the evening for them. So I'm able to, um, you know, talk on, on Facebook Messenger or whatnot to my mom and dad and my, my wife and kids as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a very important thing to stay in touch there's a lot of oh absolutely a lot of service members who are deployed right now who don't have that luxury yeah um, and that's I know what that's like I was deployed in 2011 to Iraq and we traveled all over the country um, and it was it was much more dangerous then than it is than it yeah. is now uh, in Kuwait obviously we're not in in any imminent danger as, as far as what they're dealing with in Iraq but um, you know, I, I know what it's like to go an extended amount of time without speaking to family members and it's tough. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and my wife is, my wife is an absolute angel, you know, God sent, um, superwoman <laughs> taking care of two kids, wow. um, homeschooling because schooling and I'm currently stationed at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. They're not doing full-time school right now. Uh, as far as in person, so there it's all homeschool because of COVID. Yeah, and, and it's tough. It's tough even when I'm there, and, and sure. it's, it's even tougher when I'm away. And oh yeah, you know it, it affects the kids because they want dad as well. So, you know, it, having that family support is is unbelievable for for a service member. Um, so that that's pretty much it. You know, there's not a whole lot going on over here. Um, you know, typically with normal operations, when you don't have a, a worldwide pandemic going on, you know, they've got poker games and, you know, all kinds of stuff. We have a USO here and the USO is a great organization for the troops that does a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I know when I was in Iraq, I would look forward to Wednesday and Saturday nights when I was at, at my normal base because those were poker nights. Um, and that's what, that's what would get you through is I look forward sure. look, look forward to short milestones and passing each one of those. So that's right. You know, when you're, when you're racing on the track, you look for halfway and five. Go and <laughs> right. Yep. Right now, because of what it is, I, I look forward to Sundays because Sunday is, is cheap meal on the diet. So we will we'll go get, uh, we'll go get cheesesteaks at, at the, at the dining facility, the chow hall there, and then we'll go watch football. There you go. Uh, that's what we look forward to every week and, and we pass another week and we got fantasy football and whatnot to, to joke and kid around with. Um, and, and that's how it is. We, we do what we can to keep ourselves occupied and plenty of work to do while we're at work. But when we're away from work, you got to have something to do as well. So that's right. Well, you know, on a personal note, when you talked about, you know, not, not being able to stay connected. Uh, I, in the, Early to mid 2000s, my two sons were in 101st, and they were deployed in Iraq twice, but they never were separated for more than 30 days. Ironically, uh, they were always at the same base. They were always able to stay in touch with each other. So when we heard from one, they would report on the other. Now they might have been lying. I know they were lying when they said everything was okay, but there was a sense of security <laughs> they gave us that, you know. 
it's okay, dad, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll be all right. Um, so I do know when you, when you, when you can't stay connected, your mind doesn't say, oh, everything's okay. Your mind starts looking on the downside. So uh, to, to have that ability, it's not only good for you, but it's so, so great for your family and your kids. So I, uh, and I certainly admire you for your service, Chuck. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. I appreciate it, Randy. I know, I know it can be just as hard on parents because they, they care about their kids and oh, yeah. they want to know at all times that they're safe. Um, <laughs> right. And it's a any, helpless, any, it's a helpless feeling because it, it, you're, it's out of your control. It's out of your control. And, and you know, the, the only thing you can look back on, I would imagine as a parent is what did I do to set my kid up for success raising yeah, them? Right. Yeah. Teach them to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, the, I can assure you that the United States military is, is the highest trained people in the world. Yeah. Um, and most of them <laughs> are going to, to make the right decision. Yep. Um, and they did. I mean, they're, they both got a great life now. They're married. And uh, once one started a family has a farm, the others in law enforcement. And uh, I'm so proud of them, but uh, yeah, it really hit home when you were telling those stories. I'll tell you, uh, well, you know, as we wind the podcast down, I always like to end, with a pretty general question, but it's a very broad question and that kind of encompasses everything we talked about. But the question is simply, share with us how carding has impacted your life over the years, Chuck. Yeah, carding, like I just said, as a parent, you look back and maybe how, how did I set my kid up for success? And my dad was was very my dad served in Vietnam in the army so he he had that lifestyle background with him as well and he he always you know gave me life lessons you know you never know when the next hand you shake is going to be the right one or um, you know always always do the right thing and, and always uh, take pride in what you do carding to me when I was doing it that was life from yeah. 1995 when we started, until 2005 when I ran my last race at Beachnut Raceway and we were selling stuff while we were at the track because we were really, really close to getting an ARCA contract. And, and oh, wow. That was, um, and obviously, it didn't materialize, but, um, you know, racing was life. I lived and breathed it because that's – I felt like that's what I was put on this earth to do at the time. I was mm -hmm. good at it. Um, I enjoyed it. Most of the time, it was certainly tough. We didn't always have good weekends, but um, you know, I enjoyed going to the track. Um, I never had a whole lot of friends growing up, and it really compounded when I started racing because you know, I played baseball. I was pretty good, pretty good baseball player, but I didn't really put the time and effort into making myself better like I did with racing. Mm -hmm. And when you don't play football or baseball or basketball and people are like, you're racing go-karts? Yeah. Right. You're a loser. Well, that's not the case. Come out no. to a race with me and you'll see these guys almost 100 miles an hour with no suspension or seatbelts. Right. Exactly. No. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, but when I went to the racetrack for karting, I had people who wanted to be around me. Yeah. Who I could laugh and joke with and, and just yep. be myself and be part of a team. Um, these people thought just like me and and they came to me and talked to me and they wanted me around. Some of my favorite memories in karting was just catching up with people like Todd and Mark and Harold and others. You know, we didn't have all social media at the time. It was just really starting. And, and Friday nights during and after the practice rounds of the WK Nationals, which were once a month, 
that was family time. That's when you yes. caught up with people. Hey, what's going mm -hmm. on lately? And you joke and, and you laugh. I cherish the friendships that were built starting way back in 95 with guys like Ben Fritz, Dwayne Bryan, Josh Antley, that I still talk to those people today. Wow. Yeah. Um, especially the guys that I raced with and knew from the WK National and State Series. Um, it's good to have social media nowadays where you can see what their lives are like and, and right. keeping in touch with those guys. But again, I, I remember so many Friday nights just sitting and talking with Todd just about life mm -hmm. and humanizing the person. Yeah. You know, here's your idol for racing. And you're like, this guy's just joking around with you. Yeah. You know, I can, I can remember going, going to eat uh, with uh, the Rivers brothers, Michael and Jimmy. And mm -hmm. these are, you're out on the track. These guys are your competition. Yep. Like they're still your family. When you're not on, when you're not on the oval, they're your family, Yeah. you know, and, and we would swap setup ideas and stuff like that because, you know, I can make you, I can give you all the setup advice that I can. You still got to beat me out there. Right. And we never lied to anybody about setup help. We wanted mm -hmm. to help people and see them do good because that's mm -hmm. just going to make us be better. Um, because I spent so much time with, with, uh, of my life on karting it taught me to have pride in what you do, just like my dad reinstilled with me. Um, you know, I mentioned before, you know, when you, when you put chassis stickers or Todd's engine stickers, you know, their names on that stuff. So they yeah. care about it. Right. You know, former chief master sergeant of the air force, Bob Gaylor, I, I got to hear him speak about this very thing. And he gave a speech and it was themed around your name is on the mailbox. That's why he takes care of his yard because his name's on the mailbox. That's why, <laughs> wow. and Mark, that's why they cared so much because their yeah. name was. On. Yep. And from taking care of equipment to working hard to ensure everything is exactly how it needs. Again, that 16th of an inch on a tire, yeah. maybe it didn't matter, but I wanted to make sure it was exactly where it needed to be in my that's mind right. yep. to ensure success. Yep. And that was because my name is associated with everything that I do out there. You know, they, I ran number 29 for years. Why? Cause Todd used to run 29 and he was my hero. My wow. to race. You, you know, your name is associated with, with what you do. Who's running that 29 car. That car looks good. That car is clean. That car is fast. Yep. Your name's on the mailbox. That's Chuck yep. Broadway or that's your name's on the mailbox. I like that. Who's running that number one champ car. That's Jody Miller. He's always up front. Yeah your name's on it. Yep. So people know when they see your stuff is clean, you're running up front, you're taking that extra time. You know, you're not screwing around throwing footballs in the pits like I used to do when I was a kid. I'm working. <laughs> you're working. Yeah. People know yeah. you take pride in everything you do. Um, and, and that, that speaks volumes of, of who you are as a person. And, and that's where your results come from. Yeah. And, you know, that, my, my dad used to restore cars. And, and I, again, one of those simple life lessons that he probably didn't even think about, but he, he told me, he's like, the, the quality of a paint job on a car comes from the amount of work you put in before you paint. Mm -hmm. And preparation, preparation for years. I, I remember not spending a whole lot of time back in the shop in between races, working on the car. Mm -hmm. And then one day I said, I'm not going to have a dirty program anymore. So I'd take the car all apart after every race and clean everything. Yeah. And sure. You know, I should have ran more asphalt, so I didn't have to do a whole lot of cleaning. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I got to run one asphalt race and that was awesome. But, you know, yeah. um, uh, 
when, it, when, it, when you put more time and effort in before you even show up, the results are going to come. Agreed. Obviously, yeah. things still have to work. You can't have in, you know, problems. You, you know, there, there are variables, but, you know, the, take pride in your, in your stuff. You know, Todd, when I got my first Phantom Stalker, Todd used to have a, a manual that he handed people. And he said, if you take care of your equipment, your equipment will take care of you. Yeah. Randy, that is true and absolutely everything in life. Yeah, I and agree. I, I, I put this moniker towards my family and my work because in public affairs, you know, when I was first in, in the military, I would do a whole lot of writing. Well, mm -hmm. your name's on it. So yeah. I wanted to make sure the product was as good as it could be because my name's on it and it's yeah. going to go out on the inter internet. So take care of yourself. Take care of your family because my name is on my family. They yeah. have the same last name as me. Yeah, that's right. So I want to make sure I do everything, sacrifice what I need to do for my wife and for my kids and for for uh, my mother and father and family, just so we're as successful as we can be in everything that we do. Uh, and if wow. you take care of the equipment, which are the, in this case, your family and all of the things that you're responsible for, they'll take care of you. Um, and, um, you know, I, I live that. I take care of my family. My family takes care of me. My wife is, is an outstanding cook. And she certainly <laughs> takes care of me with the food. I have a bad meal in, in almost 13 years of marriage. Um, yeah. She'll tell wow. you otherwise, but I said, I, I have zero complaints. Um, and, you know, she makes sure the home front's taken care of and the kids are taken care of yeah. and healthy and gets them to the doctor's appointment. So I don't have to leave work. Um, so I'd make sure that I take care of my family uh, and do everything I can. I, I make sure absolutely everything is, is to the best of my ability and everything that I do. And I, I was taught that lesson way back in karting um, by my dad and by, by Todd and, and seeing mm -hmm. the effort that they put into that kind of stuff. And that, that's for anybody who happens to listen to the podcast. Take the time. I cannot tell you how many late nights I spent making sure those tires were perfect and the frustrations yeah. because I couldn't get it. That one sixteenth of an inch can make all the difference in the world. Um, you know, make sure... That, that you prepared, take good notes, do things in sequence if you, if you tend to forget things. But, you know, when you bring your cart back, wipe down the body of it, you know, make sure it's clean, make sure it looks good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, feel good about, about your equipment and that, that you're doing everything you can to make sure you're running up front. That's, that's, wow. That's, that's some good stuff, Chuck. And, and before we go, why don't you go ahead and say hello to your family, your wife and your kids, your mom and dad, just uh, now, now's a good chance to do it. I'm sure they're going to be listening to this thing. Oh, I know my dad's going to be listening. He was, he was excited to, to know that I got asked to do this. So um, uh, hey to, to Janine and Justin and Kristen over there in, in Delaware and, and my, my dad, Ron in Georgia and my mom, Sharon down in Florida. Um, you know, I appreciate everything you guys have done to me for me. Um, you know, mom, mom was the, the, what do you want to say? The odd person out, I guess. We had a family business in Western North Carolina during my champ cart days. And she had to stay back a lot of weekends to, uh, to run the shop, run the business. So me and dad could go race. Um, so it was a lot of father son time, but you know, when my mom got to come, I know she came to Waynesfield in 2003, which um, we won the Star Chant race and that clinched the national championship for us. So I was so glad that she was there to see that. Um, and, 
every, all, all the time, whenever my mom got to come out, it was special. Um, and that's another reason we started running a beast net is because it was close. Mm-hmm. And, and I could, I brought my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife got to come out and race, uh, got to come out and watch a race a time or two. Um, and I'm sure my dad was thankful that I, I continued to put all my effort into racing while she was there and not walk off with her or anything like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm so blessed, Randy, for That's great. to have a family who cares and, wow. and to be able to, to live the life that I've lived, you know, yeah, it's certainly, I, I would have liked to have been running cut cars right about now yeah, at, at well. 37 years old i guess i'd be about wrapping up the career if it was yeah, successful but that's all right you know, for, for for every one you know trevor bain who won a daytona 500 who was who was running dirt carts at the time that yeah. i was running dirt carts you know there's there's 500 guys like me who, oh. who may have been good enough but just yeah. it didn't work out yeah um, and you know what chuck you, you did okay buddy i wouldn't worry too much about it okay i think you did pretty good I, I have no regrets, Randy. You yeah. know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a man of faith. You know, I, again, great memories with, with Bobby and Carol Geddes having the, yeah. the party for Christ stuff. Oh yeah. They still do it. That, yeah. He used to say the racer's prayer before every qualifying and yep. every race. Yeah. Um, and, and I used to get a tingling sensation sometimes when I say it, Randy, and <laughs> I honest to God, every time I get that tingling sensation, I either qualified on the pole or won the race. Nice. And when it got to the point that when I felt it, I knew I was going to win. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was as relaxed as I've ever been in the car. Wow. Um, again, another example of just great people in racing, Bobby, right. Bobby and Carol. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. um, and, and just, I'm, I, I keep my faith very, I'm very blessed. And I believe that, that my, my life has been written out by God and, and I, you know, I wasn't meant to, to be racing in the cup cars. But I was meant to do something else. I've seen some parts yeah. of the world that I would have never seen had I had I been stuck back right. doing what I was doing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I went to college, did four great years in college and got a master's degree while I was in the military. And I'm doing really well for myself. You know, we, we're, we're certainly not living the life of luxury, but we're certainly not hurting. And there are a lot of people these days who are struggling. And, and That's we're right. so blessed to not be one of those. So um i have no regrets i'm i'm just completely blessed and and grateful for everything that i have chuck you knocked it out of the park and in a season of the world series i will tell you you knocked it out of the park this has been this has been pretty awesome and and certainly uh i i've i think i've learned everything on every podcast i've done but i'm not sure i've learned as much as i've learned today about about life in general you've uh you've taught me some lessons and i appreciate that but (laughs) Thank, Chuck, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for joining me on the show today. It means a lot to me and, and to be able to, to serve our country. Uh, it's uh, yeah, you're not driving cup cars, but you know what, uh, to me, your job's a heck of a lot more important than that. I appreciate it. You know, it was, it was an honor just to be asked, you know, after listening to, to Phil Combs and, and Jason Petty's podcast and, and those, you know, Jason Petty was, boy, he was an, as smooth a driver as there ever was. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Phil, Phil Combs is just a a vault of of historical information. Oh, he is, isn't he? Yeah, and, I know. Uh, and then I, I heard the Chris and Jason C's podcast, and you know, I I know I knew them from when we raced yeah. together, and just just to 
to be the first champ car driver. You haven't had a champ yeah. car driver yet. Nope. So I was like, this is nope. great. He's asking me. So I really appreciate it. I didn't think I was, I was that big of a, of a, of a, of an interest to, to the big wigs, like, like the president of the company. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'm grateful. You know, I, I, I will say this. I forgot to mention this, Randy. We, when we won the, the cart week in 2002, I'll, I'll never let it live down. The WK, the person who had the most wins in cart week at the time got to put a cart in Daytona USA. Oh, no. And I won two races and I won yeah. four cycle day. Yeah. The champ carts. And I, me and my dad spent almost an entire day trying to convince some of the officials to oh. let us put a champ cart oh, in Daytona. Oh, no. And we were, we, we thought we had almost got it done because we were the only. I think there was one other driver that had two wins. And then mm-hmm. Tony Belk wins stock heavy the last race on the last day. And he's got two wins in a second and he qualifies and he gets it. So oh. uh, we didn't get the chance to put the card in Daytona USA, which would have been, which would have been absolutely amazing. To yeah. have. But, um, you know, I look back on carding and, and as, as many weekends as we had, that was frustrating and, you know, being upset at officials because we didn't agree with with calls that were made or whatever. I look back on fond memories, and it was because of the people. Yeah, yeah. It was because exactly. of the family. It really yeah. was. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm grateful that that people remember me in a positive light. Um, I hope that that I had a positive impact on some folks. I raced with some outstanding outstanding drivers, some of which are still doing it today. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything, Randy. We, we really enjoyed it. We appreciate, um, the WK at the time and what they did with the dirt series. And, and it was, that was the pinnacle at the time. Um, and I, and I wish it would seeing seeing some of my friends today on Facebook and whatnot, you know, we have all these tracks are competing against each other. Yeah. I wish that they would unite and, and do something. I think it could be so big. Yeah, it could. And, uh, I, you know, I haven't been with WK since 07, but I did see they've announced now they're going to they're going to revive the Dirt Series next year and have I think five races with a with Maxis being involved in some pretty good racetracks. So hopefully yeah. that's a step in the right direction to get some unity and 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 some mutual respect among the venues and promoters where we're not going to run against each other, but for the betterment of the sport, we're going to try to run where we don't work. You know, work we work together. We don't work uh, against each other. So hopefully that's that's what's going to happen, but time will tell. But uh, absolutely, wait. and it doesn't even have to involve a sanctioning body like WK. Just the tracks get together and say, "Okay, we're going to yeah, work." Right. It's in their best interest. It's in their best interest because yeah. you work. You know, if you compete against each other, you're gonna you're gonna have less people show up. But if you work it, with exactly. each other, you're gonna have more people show up. And yeah. promoters and tracks, they're gonna do what? They're gonna make more money. Yeah, so, you're, you're exactly right. That's the whole yeah. point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chuck. I, I, I to tell you, this has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun and I've really enjoyed it. And I, and as I said, you knocked it out of the park, buddy. You, you, this was, this was really a good podcast. I really appreciate it. any, any, uh, any closing comments before we wrap things up? Uh, just, just count every blessing every day, you know, um, try, try not to be angry at the world. And, you know, we, our world's filled with a lot of negativity right now. And it's just not, it's not necessary. Let's just enjoy the time that we have because every breath 
is is precious and tomorrow is not promised so um you know, you know lit, that's not to say that you're never going to be upset but don't stay mad right um analyze what's going on yeah um, and, and figure out why it happened and try not to make make mistakes twice um be thankful for what we have and and you know appreciate and cherish every every moment because every moment's eventually going to be a memory that you look back on you're so right chuck well said well said well for all the listeners out there i hope you enjoyed as much as i did bringing it because uh chuck was really awesome tonight uh, say a prayer for our first responders and our military uh they're in this every day they're they're risking their lives they they need your help they need to, they need to be in your thoughts and prayers at a time when uh believe me it's needed most and remember racers don't last forever but racing memories do this is randy kugler along with my special guest chuck broadway with racing with rk until next time take care everybody and be safe